0: So um, we're going to give a shir on Pesach, um, well not on Pesach, about Pesach. And this shir is sponsored by Cecile and Ed Gromis in memory of Cecile's father Yitzchak ben Avraham Abba, Zichrono Livrachah, whose yard site is on the 5th of Nissan. The Neshama should have an aliyah and we should be together see Tchias HaMesim. Today we're going to talk about the remarkable revelation of Ben Zoma. Uh, the remarkable revelation of Ben Zoma, which appears at the beginning of the Haggadah. I'm going to read you the entire piece. It's usually split into two pieces. There's a reason for that. Um, but I'm going to read it as one piece. Ma'aseh b'Rabbi Eliezer, b'Rabbi Loza ben Akiva, A story. The Talmud often uses, the Midrash often uses stories, narratives, about events that took place with the rabbis, who were also the authors of the Midrash and the Talmud, as ways of demonstrating the way the Halakha was observed in this very early period, Um, and particularly after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, narratives become a source of information because so much was destroyed, you needed narratives in order to establish a particular practice in Jewish life, so much had changed, there was no Beit amidash there was no Korbanot, and here they are, these five rabbis, Shehayu Mesubin b'Vnei Barak, they were sitting, uh, reclining, that's what the word Mesubin means, it's what we do on Seder night, mesaprim mitzrayim kol And that entire night, kol layla, which must mean, obviously, um, it must mean Seder night, the first night of Pesach, they sat, they reclined, and they discussed and told over the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim all night. Until their uh, students came they knocked gingerly on the door, and they said, "Raboteinu, rabbis, our rabbis. kriat shama shel shachrit. It's morning. Dawn has broken." what are you still doing here you've got to say kriyat and they look they didn't have clocks in those days they look outside and indeed the dawn has broken it's time for kriyat so that in itself is puzzling that they wouldn't have been conscious of it themselves what were their students doing what were they were their students reminding them about something were they posing it to them as a question it sounds a little bit more like a protest right not just they're gently reminding them, they're saying to them, Rabbis, what exactly are you doing? Okay, we're going to get to that as well. And it continues, Amar Rabbi Laza ben Azaria. Rabbi Laza ben Azaria said, doesn't say to whom he said it, but in the context of this story, it sounds like a response to what had just happened. Okay, so Rabbi Laza ben Azariah says, Hare ani keven shiv'im shana, Okay, so he says, I am like 70 years old. So it's a very famous Rashi. It's based on a Chazal, it's a Gemara in Brochus. Um, that, you know, there was a terrible incident where um, Rabbi Gamliel got into a fight with Rabbi Hoshua as a result of which there was rebellion in the ranks of the rabbis and Rabban Gamliel was deposed and his replacement was Rabbi bin ben Azariah and many things happened on that day but one of the key things to remember is that Rabbi bin ben Azariah was not an elder. He wasn't one of the older rabbis. He was a young man. Hare ani keven shivim shana. I'm as if I'm 70 years old. That's what that means. He wasn't actually 70 years old, but he says, I have either, according to Rashi, the concern, the worry that he had, the intensity of that situation when he was appointed as the head of the Sanhedrin, was such that even though he had a black beard the day before, the day afterwards it had all turned white. He was, it was a, 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 an, a natural phenomenon, I guess, or an unnatural natural phenomenon. He now had the appearance of an older man. Some said because that he should be taken seriously. If he looks so young, he won't be taken seriously. Either way, in this context, I'm not sure what it means, but let's say it means that he considers himself very experienced. He considers himself somebody who knows everything that the Talmud and the Midrash has to teach about the general conduct of a Jew in daily life, and yet, I never merited um, to know that the Exodus from Egypt should be mentioned at night until Ben Zoma derived it. And he derived it from the following pasuk. So that you remember. The day of your going out from the land of Egypt, all the days of your life. It's a very important pasuk. Said Ben "Hayamim, the days of your life." We're talking about daytime. Why do you need the extra word "kol"? kol yamei chayecha, all the days of your life. So. In the most natural way of understanding, kol yamei is that all the days of your life, from when you become conscious of the fact that you're alive until the final day of your life, kol yemechayecha. But you know the rabbis who derived meaning from the words of the Torah never uh, never settled for the basic understanding of a pasuk. Kol yemechayecha is not necessary because it's obvious that it's every day of your life. If you are obligated. To remind yourself about the Exodus from Egypt on the days of your life, obviously the Torah is not telling it on the day of your life or on one week of the days of your life. It means all of your life. So, what is the extra word Kol Yemei yecha? Why do we need that extra word? Says Ben Zoma, Kol Yemei Chayecha Halelot. We're talking about the night time as well. It's not enough to mention the Exodus during the day. You have to mention Exodus as well at night. Now, what are we talking about? We're going to see in a moment. But first, let's um, uh, see what the Chachamim said. The Chachamim Omrim, and the other rabbi said, this is the majority opinion, while Ben Zoma seems to be the minority opinion, at least at, at first glance. The Chachamim Omrim, Yemei Chayecha HaOlam haze. it says in the Pasuk, the days of your life, Haolam hazeh, we're talking about the days of your life when you're alive in this material, physical world. Kol All the days of your life is to include the ultimate days of your life. There'll be tchiat hametim, when everybody will be resurrected. When is that? And that is the Messianic redemption. At the time when the Messiah comes, we're also going to talk about the Exodus from Egypt. Okay, now, what does, just before we look at anything else, what does it sound like Rebbe Loza ben Azariah is saying? So, I've missed this piece out in my source sheet, but just before, Maaseh berebbe Eliezer, berebbe Yeshua, ben Azariah, Akiva, berebbe Tarfain, before that story, the Haggadah says, it doesn't matter who you are, you can be great in Torah, great scholar, you can be an old man who's had Seder night, Every single year for the last 80, 90 years, it doesn't matter who you are, whoever you are, you must talk about Yetziat Mitzrayim on Seder night. And anybody who maximizes on the amount that they talk about Yetziat Mitzrayim on Seder night is very praiseworthy. We don't have that in the source sheet. But that's what it says in Haggadah. And this story follows straight on. So the story seems to be an illustration of this concept of great rabbis who are elderly. So they've had Seder every single night. uh, Sorry, every single Seder night since the beginning of their lives for many decades. And yet they were Marbe in Sippur, Yetziat Mitzrayim. And therefore they are Meshubach that seems to be the context of this story now rabelaza ben azariah seems to be saying something completely different he seems to be saying that mentioning yetziat mitzrayim is something that's incumbent upon every single jew every single day but not just in the day he says you've got to mention it at night as well why well I don't know. I always thought it was important. That's what it sounds like he's saying. And then Ben Zoma said, it's not just important, it's something that can actually be derived from a pasuk in the Torah. That the Torah says, you must mention Yudziyat Mitzrayim at night time as well. That's the context of the story. In which case, why do we have a dissenting view? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just stopped after Rebbe at Nazaria? And he quotes Ben Zoma, "Yemei Chayecha yamim Kol Yemei Chayecha Period. Why do we have to have the chachamim omrim? The chachamim—it's a bit of a—it's a bit of a party pooper, right? We don't want to hear about the chachamim saying about yemot Mashiach. I mean, the Messianic era—we'll worry about it then. What, what is what is the context of mentioning them here? And in fact, there is another question: Mentioning Yitziat Mitzrayim has nothing whatsoever to do with Pesach Seder. What do we do at Pesach Seder? Right? This is something completely different. Haggadah. What's Haggadah mean? We have the Haggadah. We, we we speak about the Yetziat Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, all night long. Harizem Shubach. It's not a mention. We don't mention it. We don't. By the way, you know why I'm a Jew? Because 3,000... 331 years ago, by the way, that's the exact number for this year, 3,331 years ago, my ancestors were slaves in Egypt and God set them free. That's all you have to say in order to mention Yitziat Mitzrayim. I can mention it in the day and I mention it at night. When do we mention it? When do we mention Yitziat Mitzrayim? Every single day. So there's a third paragraph in Shema. You think it's about tzitzit, right? It's not about tzitzit. tit. Well, it is. Of course it's about tzitzit. tit. But there's something else at the end. Ani asher etchem liyot lachem lelokim. That is why we say the third paragraph of Kriyat Shema. Not just because we mentioned tzitzit, which talks about all the mitzvot in the Torah, which we've just discussed in the second and first paragraphs of Shema, so to solidify this concept of performing mitzvot because we believe in God, we mentioned tzitzit, which encompasses, which includes every mitzvah in the Torah, but also because it says, right? So um, we mention... The Tzitzit paragraph because it includes a reference to Yitziat Mitzrayim, to the Exodus from Egypt, and in that way we comply with our mandatory obligation of Lemantizkor et Yom tzitcha, Mitzrayim, kol chayecha. Said Ben Zoma, You might think that mentioning Yitziat Mitzrayim only applies to the daytime, and particularly because the paragraph which includes the mention of Mit Mitzrayim is the paragraph of Tzitzit. When are we obligated to wear Tzitzit? In the daytime. How do we know that? Because it says, Ur'item oto. You have to see the Tzitzit. Can you see at night? You can't see Tzitzit at night. You know that one of the ways that we know um, how, how it's early enough in the morning to say Kriyat Shema is if you can dis- tell the difference between the blue thread And the white thread in the tzitzit, it's in the Mishnah. Which means that the time for putting tzitzit has arrived, which is daytime. So now you can say the Shema. Because you can only say the Shema in the morning when it's light enough. When the sun has come up over the horizon to the extent, or the dawn has broken to the extent that you can tell the difference between two colors. It doesn't just look gray to you but you can actually tell the difference between the color that's blue and that's white okay that being the case you shouldn't need to say the parsha about tzitzit at night you should only have to say the parsha t- about tzitzit in the day says ben zoma no do you know why we say the parsha of tzitzit not just because of the tzitzit but because of the mention of Yitziat Mitzrayim, of the Exodus. And now you're going to say it's Yemei Chayecha. No, no, it says Kol Yemei Chayecha. Kol Yemei Chayecha is HaLeilot, is also at night. says Benzoma. it's not enough to mention, have that mention in the daytime, the third paragraph of the Shema. The night Shema also must include the third paragraph of Shema. Now I want to ask you a question. How many words is it? It's eight words. That's mentioning the Yitziat Mitzrayim every day. You mention it once in the morning and once in the evening. Has that got anything to do with Seder night? Has that got anything to do with Seder night? It's got nothing to do with Seder night. What's that got to do with it? What do we do on Seder night? of die What are we doing? We're singing, we're talking. Dom, We're talking about Yitziat Mitzrayim the whole night, right? You know, uh, uh, um, my kids always say to me, why does Maggid have to be so long? That's the whole point. Maggid has to be long. That's why we have the Haggadah. Because we're meant to be discussing the story of Yetzirah Mitzrayim. What's that got to do with Benzoma? What exactly is that got to do? Ben is not talking about Seder night. What has that got to do with the story of the five rabbis in Bnei Barak who sat all night until their students needed to knock on the window, knock on the door and tell them, excuse me, guys, it's time to say Krishma. It's like a role reversal. Now, I remember when I was in yeshiva, it was the rabbis who came to wake me up. I didn't come and wake them up and tell them it's time to go to davening. What, what is going on here? The whole story, once you begin to, you pick at the edges, it begins to unravel. None of it makes any sense. We had this introduction of having to speak all night, and if you speak all night, or speak as much as you speak about Yitziat Mitzrayim, Harizim you have the story about the rabbis, these great men, who are the perfect examples of people who you would expect not to have to talk about Yitziat Mitzrayim because there's nothing that they don't know, and yet they stay up all night until their students have to tell them it's morning. And then you have a discussion about the third paragraph of the Shema. Where is this Um Piece about Rabbi Lozab Azari. Do you know where it is? I'll tell you. It's a Mishnah in Brochus. It's got nothing. You think it was written for the Haggadah? It wasn't written for the Haggadah. It's actually a Mishnah in Brochus. Let's have a look. The Mishnah in Brochus, and I'm not going to read you the whole thing because we just read it in the Haggadah. The Mishnah in Brochus, it's the first chapter, the last Mishnah of the first chapter of Brochus. Mazkirin Yetziat Mitzrayim Balelot. so the mishnah says you must mention Yitziat mitzrayim at night which means that there is an obligation to say the third paragraph of shema at night and then he goes on to this whole thing i want to ask you another question i'm full of questions today by the way that's very suitable for pesach right you thought man are, four questions no no it's four Platform questions. These are the these are the initial questions. And then you ask a hundred other questions of your own. I've got a book at home, A Thousand and One Questions About Pesach with answers. A thousand and one questions about Pesach. It's a fascinating book. Not just about Saidanite, it's about every aspect of Pesach. I won't have a thousand and one questions, but I have another question for you. In a dispute, a debate, a halachic debate between two sides, and on one side you have a rabbi. One single rabbi with an opinion, and the other side you have the Chachamim, a bunch of rabbis they're not named. Who wins the debate? Who wins the debate? The majority, right? That's the way we work. Acharei rabbim lahatot. You go according to the majority. I mean, it's a democracy. I mean, it has to be a democracy of experts. We don't just we don't just invite people off the street. What's your opinion? We don't do vox pop about halacha. You have to be a trained rabbi. In the uh, in any circumstance but in the Gemara and the Mishnah if you have a machloikas between Rebbe ben Azariah and the Chachomim who wins that who wins the machloikus? who is the one that prevails or who prevails the Chachomim how does this Mishnah begin the Mishnah begins by telling us you've got to mention you must mention Yetziat Mitzrayim at night why so now it goes into a little piece about Rabbi Lazan Azaria quoting Ben Zoma. The Chachamim Oimrim. What do the Chachamim say? Do they agree with the Rabbi Lazan Azaria and Ben Zoma, or do the Chachamim say something different? Something different. So why does the Mishnah begin should be the opposite. It should say, EIN MAZKIRIN yitziat MITZRAYIM Why? Because the Chachomim disagree with Ben Zoma. And if the Chachomim disagree with Ben Zoma, the majority opinion prevails. It doesn't matter that Rebbe Loza Ben Azariah got very excited about having studied this piece from Ben Zoma, and now he believes that you have to mention yitziat MITZRAYIM at night. Who cares what he thinks? He's a minority opinion. His opinion is irrelevant in halachic terms it may not be irrelevant in midrashic terms why is the mishnah even going into this and why is the mishnah uh, deciding the halacha according to reblozah ben azariah is that a bit of a puzzle okay that's not mentioned by the way in the haggadah why because the haggadah has got nothing to do with mazakhirin yudziyat mitzrayim bel The Haggadah is talking about something else completely. The Haggadah is talking about whether or not we should talk about Yitzhi Mitzrayim all night long. Whether Maggid should take as long as possible or as short as possible. It's not talking about mentioning. It's not talking about Kriyat Shema. Okay. So I'm now going to read you the third source of this. So we have one source in the Haggadah. We have one source which we've just um, talked about, which is in the Mishnah in Brochus. And now I'm going to mention to you, I'm going to... Look at a Tosefta in Brochus. It's in the first chapter of Brochus, the 12th section of the Tosefta. You know what the Tosefta is? The Tosefta is um, Tana'itic material. That means the same people who wrote the Mishnah or who are mentioned in the Mishnah, it was, that was edited by Rabbi Huda Hanasi, the same people who are mentioned in the Mishnah are also the people who are mentioned in Tosefta. The Tosefta is me- much of the material is included in Mishnahis, but much of it was left out. That means in the editing process, Rabbi decided that this material was not relevant to the much more abbreviated format which he had envisioned for the Mishnah. And therefore it wasn't relevant. Very often you have, and it's by the way, to is called Baraita. That means it's a parallel text to the Mishnah. It's a Baraita. And very often a Baraita is quoted in the Gemara. More often than not, it comes from Tosefta, sometimes not, and then the Gemara will say, well, why, if this B'raita exists, why is the Mishnah different? So we'll try and reconcile a text from a B'raita with the Mishnah. Why? Because it's contemporaneous. It was written at the same time. But very often the Tosefta is not in conflict with the Mishnah. But it, puts, it adds material which gives context to the Mishnah, which we don't see by just reading the Mishnah. This is one of those. So this Tosefta um, actually gives more details about the dispute between the Chachomim and Ben Zoyma. The Chachomim, if you remember, the majority opinion of the Mishnah is that Ko Yamei chayecha is Olam Haze is this life that we have, uh, which has got nothing to do with day or night. It's the fact that we are alive now. And then there's going to be, there'll be a time of after Mashiach comes, we're also going to mention the Exodus. This Tsefta gives context to that debate between Ben Zoma and the Chachomin. Let's have a look. Omar, Lohem, Ben Zoma. So, when they said this, Lahavi Limoisa Benzoima said, ben Benzoima said, responded, retorted to the Chachomim, the Chimazkirim Mitzrayim Limota Mashiach. Are you kidding me? We're going to talk about Yitzhat Mitzrayim in the days of Mashiach? What are you saying? How can you even suggest that? So, what's the basis of the question, even before we get to the source text? The basis of the question is, Let's say, um, you, one, one time, you walked into the road, and a car nearly ran into you. But the, it screeched to a halt, and it was one foot away from you, Had it gone one foot more, you would have been run down, you would have been run over. You go home, you make, you make the biggest party of your life. My life was saved, right? Okay. Then, um, a few years later, A plane, you were on a plane and the plane crashed. And there was one survivor, you. 174 people died and you survived. You come home, you have a party. And somebody says to you, isn't this fantastic? It's just like the time when you weren't run over by the car. What would you say? Are you nuts? What are you talking about? Who cares about the stupid car that didn't run me over? I was on a plane. A hundred and seventy-four people died and I survived. I'm thinking now about the car? Who cares about the stupid car? This is a much bigger miracle. So now let's put these two as a metaphor, as a parable to what I've just described. We have in our history, 3,331 years ago, exodus from Egypt. Our ancestors were slaves and we came out Of Egypt we were set free with by the Almighty we got this amazing relationship we achieved with God and we received the Torah it's an amazing thing and then we went through so far 3331 years of fairly choppy waters it's not really gone that well for us there's been times when it's been amazing we've had euphoric moments here and there but there's been times of great tragedy and disaster, particularly the last almost 2,000 years where we haven't had our Beit and We haven't really been in true possession of our destiny, which is Yerushalayim Habnuyah and the Messianic era. And then Mashiach comes, the Messiah arrives. And Messianic time is going to be amazing. <laughs> it's going to be a perfect world. It's going to be Shangri-La. It's going to be the most amazing time of history and at that time we're going to celebrate we're going to be so excited because Mashiach came and the Galut is over not just that Galut every Galut and everything is going to be perfect it's it's the paradigm of perfection and somebody's going to tap you on the shoulder and it's going to say don't you remember your Tiat Mitzrayim do you remember what happened your Tiat Mitzrayim that God set you free you were slaves in Egypt are you crazy? That's what I'm going to think about now. Who cares about tziat Mitzrayim? Mashiach is here. Mashiach is here. We're living in the Messianic age. I'm worried about Mitzrayim. What would I even think about it for? Why even talk about Mitzrayim? So Ben Zoma is saying to the Chachamim, what are you even talking about? Why would you even say that we're going to talk about tziat Mitzrayim at the time of Mashiach? It doesn't make any sense. My thing makes sense. That makes sense. It doesn't even make sense. Why would you even talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim at a time when the Mashiach had come? And then he adds, as a clincher, he adds a pasuk from the from the prophet. And the pasuk says as follows: It's a pasuk, a verse from Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17 Lachain Behold hashem There are days coming says God lo od You will no longer say that the God God is still alive the God who drew us out and brought us up out of the land of Egypt the Jews Emerged as a nation out of the land of Egypt. Kiim, what will you say? Chai, Hashem, Asher, He'elat, Israel, Me'et, Safon. The Lord is alive, the one who brought us out from the lands of the north. In other words, who cares about the fact that God brought us out from the land of Egypt? What relevance does it have to us now? Now what is relevant to us is that we were in exile for thousands of years and God brought us back to the land of Israel. He returned us from the four corners of the earth. The Messiah came. The third temple is rebuilt. Don't talk to me about Egypt. Egypt is not relevant. To a posse in Jeremiah. It's a verse in Jeremiah. So Ben Zoma says not only does what you're saying make no sense and not, is not logical, there's actually a, a source text. We have a source verse in Jeremiah which actually says that what you're saying is patent nonsense. That's what Ben Zoma responded to the Chachamim when they disagreed with him. How does the Tosefta continue? Amru <speaking in Hebrew> they said to him, no, 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 you got it wrong. Lo she ela she they come back with a remarkable response. They say, that's not what Jeremiah meant. Jeremiah meant didn't mean that memory is lost. What Jeremiah is talking about is that there's going to be a pecking order of the great events in Jewish history. And the greatest event in Jewish history is going to be the messianic redemption. But that doesn't mean we no longer mention Egypt ever again. Of course we mention Egypt because Egypt is the source of our Jewish identity. We would never have cared about the Messiah had we not come out of slavery from Egypt. Therefore, they said, kol yemei chayecha haolamazeh. Yemei Chayecha, mentioning Yetziat Mitzrayim, that's relevant to us now in this life that we lead before the Messianic Redemption. But Kol Yemei chayecha is there to tell you that we don't forget our origins, our source, our identity, our original um, formative moment when we are going to have the Messianic Era. No, no, even Kol Yemei Chayecha, even LaHavili Limot in the days of the Messianic Redemption, After the Messiah has come, we will still mention that formative moment in Jewish history, the exodus from Egypt. That's how they responded, and they have a source text of their own. And the source text is from Bereshit. Do you remember there was a man called Yaakov Avinu, Jacob? He's the third of our forefathers. He is the founding forefather of the Jewish nation. He had Abraham, but Abraham also had Yishmael. You had Isaac, but Isaac also had Esav. Jacob is the founding forefather of the Jewish nation. In fact, we're known as the Bnei Yaakov. Uh, No, we're not. What are we known as? Bnei Yisrael. Why are we called Bnei Yisrael? Because he went through a name change. He's not called um, Yaakov anymore. He's called Yisrael. We're the Israelite nation. We're not the Jacobite nation. Jacobites, by the way, they were rebels against uh, the crown in, in England. You remember the Jacobite rebellion in the 18th century? We're not Jacobites. Jacobites has something to do with British history. We are Israelites. Why are we Israelites? It's a pasuk in the Torah. The pasuk says, it's a pasuk in chapter 35 of Bereshit. God says to Jacob, Your name is not going to be Yaakov anymore. Ki Your name is going to be Yisrael, Israel, Yeshemecha. cried, Yisrael, and he called his name, he named him Yisrael. I want to ask you a question. What's his name? Yaakov or Yisrael? So it sounds like from here that God is telling him his name is Yisrael. Does that mean we never call him Yaakov anymore? We shouldn't, right? It says it. That's what, that's what God seems to say. Lo yikare od Yaakov. Your name is no longer Yaakov, ki'im Yisrael, yeshemecha. Your name is going to be Yisrael. So how come the Torah, after he's called Yisrael, still calls him Yaakov? Said the Chachamim to Ben Zoma, it's not that the name Yaakov no longer exists. It's that it's no longer the most important name. The most important name, the one that describes the essence of the Jewish nation that he's going to produce, he's the father of the Jewish nation, is Yisrael. We're Israelites, not Jacobites. But that doesn't mean his name isn't Yaakov. He has an entire life that he had before he was called Yaakov in which his name was Yaakov. That doesn't get erased. It doesn't get airbrushed doesn't mean now that when we talk about Yaakov at the age of five, that we're now going to talk about Israel because he's called Israel at the age of 85. No, his name is Yaakov. In fact, his name continues to be Yaakov. At home, when you know, somebody called out his name, they said either Yaakov, Reb Yaakov, whatever, they called, whatever it was that they called him. Maybe his grandchildren called him Grandpa Yaakov. I don't know. But the name Yaakov wasn't erased. It wasn't wiped away. But it's not the most prominent name. Look what the Tosefta says. akher Shem Yaakov. It's not that the name Yaakov was erased, was eradicated Mimenu, from, um, from his life. Shem Yaakov Mosaf al Yisrael. The name Yaakov is additional to the name Yisrael. Yisrael Ikar the Yaakov tfeila the main name of Yaakov after this moment in his life was Israel that is his formal name but of course informally he still retains the name Yaakov similarly Yitziat Mitzrayim is not the main event once the messiah has arrived but that doesn't mean it gets erased it's not airbrushed from our history it's not as if it didn't happen Ben Zoma it did happen except it's not the most important event anymore the most important event is the Messianic Redemption. Therefore, Yemei Chayecha, Ko Yemei Chayecha, Lahavi Did they resolve their dispute? What does Ben Zoma respond? So I bet you're going to say nothing, but not nothing. It could be something, but just I didn't print it onto the source sheet. No, no. There's no response recorded from Ben Zoma. Ben Zoma doesn't agree or disagree. By the way, are the Chachamim disagreeing with Ben Zoma? It sounds like it. Does that mean that you shouldn't mention Kriya Shema at night? It would appear that that's what they are saying. It would appear that they're completely reinterpreting the Pasuk to mean something else. In which case, we have that question on the Mishnah. Why, are we, why does the Mishnah begin? Why are we mentioning Mitzrayim at night in the third paragraph of Kriya Shema? If we go according to what they just said, which is that the entire pasuk is talking about something else, about the messianic era. Okay, before we continue, I want to talk about Benzoma. Does anyone here know anything about Benzoma? Benzoma is a fascinating character. First of all, what was his name? You're going to tell me his name was Benzoma. No, his name is not Benzoma. Benzoma means he was the son of someone called Zoma. What was his actual name? His name was Shimon. Shimon Benzoma. So why do we call him Ben Zoma and why isn't he Rabbi Shimon Ben Zoma? He died young. He died young. Okay. it. It's here in the source sheet. For those of you who are online, you can print off the source sheet. I've just adapted this from two or three sources just to put it together. Ben Zoma was a fascinating character. I have to tell you, this is not in the source sheet. I'm just going to give this to you as a background. One of the most tumultuous periods in Jewish history was the period following the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. Immediately before, so in the early 60s of the Common Era, until the um, terrible disaster of Bar Kokhba, and even afterwards, until Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi, in the year 235, completed writing the Mishnah, there was 150 years or so, of complete and utter chaos, religious chaos. You remember there were many sects in that period. There were Tsidukim Sadducees who were very bound up with with the temple worship and with Jerusalem and with the text of the Torah. Um, There were the sectarians who lived in Qumran. They're called by Josephus. They're called Essenes. They were very extreme Tsidukim. There were other extreme sects, the Hasidim, the Asidians, you see them in history as well. Um, And there there was another very important sect at that time, the early Christians, who were also Jews, who also had an apocalyptic vision of that particular era in, in what for them was their national history, Jewish history. They had a Messiah. He lived in the 20s and early 30s of the Common Era, and then he'd been Crucified and they were waiting for Mashiach to come there were a particular form of Jew and then there were the Original Rabbinic Jews they were called the Pharisees the Pirushim. They evolved into the what we call today Rabbinic Jews um, Normative Judaism and they they had developed an entire system where all the laws and customs that they observed could be sourced in the Torah using a bunch of um, what we call hermeneutical rules, where you can derive these customs or learn them from the text of the Torah using certain derivative methods. And that developed into the Mishnah. But it it was a very difficult, chaotic period, and people struggled with their faith. And at that time, there were a bunch of very great rabbis who survived the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, but, you know, they were struggling. One of them we know very well was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva became a focal point for religious normative Jews of that era. He was a man who had a powerful belief in the Mashiach, and he mistakenly identified, as we, as we discussed in my Bar Kochba lecture, he mistakenly identified Bar as the Mashiach, he wanted to see the rebuilding of Yerushalayim. All the stories about Rabbi Akiva are very inspiring. He's a Torah teacher. He's tough on himself. He has this incredible vision, the positive vision of Judaism, not just surviving but thriving beyond this chaotic period. He unfortunately was martyred by the Romans, but he was a very powerful figure. But he wasn't the only one. There were others. There were three others who were extremely significant, but who never made it into the um, normative rabbinic leadership of the era. One was Ben Azai, also no first name and no rabbi. The other one is somebody who's referred to in the Gemara and Chagiga as Acher. His real name was Elisha ben Avuya, he was Rabbi Elisha ben Avuya. He was a contemporary of Rabbi Akiva. He was the first teacher of Rabbi Meir before Rabbi Akiva became the teacher of Rabbi Meir. And we know that all the Mishnahis that we have that don't mention a name, go according to Rabbi Meir, which means that he derived those teachings. His original Rabbi was Elisha ben Avuya and ultimately was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was one of the most powerful influences on Rabbinic Judaism. And we have multiple references in the Talmud to tell us this. And then there was Benzoma. All of these four—Rabbi Akiva, Ben Azai, Achar, and Ben, Z- and ben Zoma, and Benzoma are mentioned in a particular text. In it's a Gemara in Chagiga, the beginning of the second parak of Chagiga. All of them went into what's referred to in the Gemara as the Paradise. What's the paradise? The paradise is the garden, the garden beyond the rational um, system that had developed around the Torah. It's the mystical Torah. It's the Torah that we refer to today as Kabbalah. Rabbi Akiva is the only one who emerged from this garden unscathed. He becomes, he is the source of all Kabbalistic teachings today. Why? Because he had one Talmud, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, who became the Kabbalah Talmud of Rabbi Akiva. And we ascribe the Zohar, that's a controversial topic in itself, we ascribe the Zohar to Rabbi Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai becomes the source of all the Kabbalistic teachings which emanated out of Rabbi Akiva after he ventured, ventured into the Garden. Whatever the Garden is. The Garden is beyond the normal system of Um, deriving law and custom out of the text of the Torah and it's a it's a system which um, gives you the mystical concepts by which the world works whether he received it by prophecy or whether he received it from somebody who knew it who's not named and who he found in the paradise very often in in Kabbalah um, the way um, teaching Kabbalah is described to the original masters of Kabbalah is that they had an Angel who taught them the concept of Kabbalah in some type of prophetic type vision, and that they then took those teachings and developed them further. Rabbi Akiva is the source of Kabbalah, but what happened to the other three? Acher became a heretic. Acher became a heretic. He was so overcome with all the things that he studied in the paradise in this Kabbalistic garden that he couldn't cope with it anymore, and he dismissed all of it. He dropped his Judaism, and he became a heretic, and the stories in Chagiga about Rebbe Meir, who on, meets him on Shabbos, he's walking alongside him, as Acher on Shabbos is riding a horse, which of course is something which is against the laws of Shabbat. And they reach the Tchum, and he says, come off the horse. It's a whole story there, about how Ramea is trying to be makarev, do Kirov, on his Rebbe, on Elisha ben avuya That's what happened to him. What happened to Ben Azai? He was so overcome with everything he learned, he died. And he is exit stage left. That's it. He was no longer relevant as a force in Jewish life. Died. So we have so far Rabbi becomes the master teacher of Jewish life. He's the source of all of our knowledge, all of our knowledge. Acher, heretic, exit stage right. Ben Azai, exit stage left, he died. What happened to Ben Zoma? He was the fourth one. He also went into the paradise. So he descended into mental illness. And he was no longer relevant as a force. We don't really know what happened to him. I saw sources which said he also died young. And therefore, he's not referred to as Rabbi Shimon Benzoma. He's not even referred to as Shimon Benzoma. He's referred to as Benzoma. And yet, look at this. I put the quote in here. Two quotes I put in here. With Benzoma died the last of the Darshanim. He was considered the greatest Darshan deriver of meaning from texts in the torah in his day greater than rabbi akiva can you imagine rabbi akiva who derived meaning even from the little flecks the tiny lines above each letter in the hebrew text of the torah he was such a great deriver of meaning from the torah he was he paled into insignificance next to ben zoma that's the first thing and then the other quote I, I have here is that whoever sees Benzoma in his dream is assured of scholarship. If you want to become a great scholar, you see Benzoma in your dream. That means if you you know, you know what happens. You go to bed with a problem. You dream about the problem. If Benzoma comes to you in your dream and tells you something about your problem, then you know that you're going to be a great scholar. Whatever you're going to come, you wake up and you say, Eureka! And you know what you're talking about because ben zoma was such a great scholar so ben zoma this incredible darshan this incredible talmud chacham, who is who disappears from jewish history in the context in context of being a leader is the source of this teaching that rebelloza ben azariah mentions in the haggadah quite unbelievable quite unbelievable and yet the Chachamim disagreed with him. How could the Chachamim disagree with the greatest of all Darshanim? And the great scholar who, if he comes to you in your dream, you're assured of scholarship? How does that even work? Okay. So I think, by the way, this so far been going on, I don't know how long, 45 minutes. It's all been an introduction. And now I'm going to speak for two and a half hours about the rest. Okay. Just very quick question. Yeah. It's because Ben Zawab- to send it into mental illness, that they don't want to teach uh, Kabbalah until you're old enough or That's, and there's another source for that and by the way, not everyone agrees with it But there's uh, the, uh, the the main source for that is that you sh- that Ben Arba'im Labina we say that it's a um, It's a Mishnah in Avot that if that full mental capacity Um, only comes with a state of Binah, which comes at the age of 40. Why? So the assumption is, by the age of 40, you will have finished the whole of Tanakh and the whole of Talmud and Midrash. That means you will have a very sound footing, a sound basis, a platform for the study of Kabbalah. To study Kabbalah before you know the whole of Tanakh and the whole of Talmud and the whole of Midrash is premature and actually can be very confusing because you don't have a solid footing, you don't really have the fundament of uh, of Jewish faith, of Jewish belief, and you're studying things which are really beyond your comprehension. It's like studying astrophysics before you've uh, mastered mathematics and algebra. So that's the idea. Um, I don't know how old he was. I don't know what's considered young and old. We're not given his age. I think that he, um, you know, if he's referred to as a great scholar and a great Darshan, that he had mastered Tanakh and he'd mastered Talmud and he'd mastered Midrash. I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was he had a particular interest, as I put in the, in the piece here, in the source sheet, in the first chapter of Bereshit, which I mentioned before is a source of great consternation um, and, in fact, is a dominant portion of the Zohar, talks about the first chapter of Bereshit. Why? Because it's the source of all our knowledge of why God created the world and how he created the world. We're trying to derive information out of a very limited text as to what God wants from the world. And he, in fact, one of the references, which I haven't brought here, of his mental illness was his misinterpretation of a particular pasuk in the first chapter of Bereshit. And he just couldn't get his head around it, and he claimed to have seen in the Paradis some aspect of it which the Talmud dismisses. By the way, the Talmud in Chagigah—it's one of the very rare occurrences in the Talmud, where it openly teaches Kabbalistic concepts. First telling you, don't study it, certainly don't study it on your own. And then the Gemara goes into various Kabbalistic concepts, mainly to do with Ezekiel's vision, not only Ezekiel's vision, but mainly to do with that, but a whole uh, range of texts which are described and defined in Chagigah, which is a Kabbalistic Gemara. It's not; um, it, it's equal in terms of its depth and breadth in Kabbalah to portions of the Zohar. No different at all. Uh, you know, I, I've learnt it n- not just once, several times with teachers, and I don't want to claim to you that I understand it. I mean, understand what the words mean, and understand what information the Gemara is trying to convey, but I don't have the depth of understanding in Kabbalah to really understand what it means. We don't. I would assume that Benzoma got to those depths and actually, you know, it's like getting to the edge of the cliff and then falling off it. And that's what happened to him. Okay, uh, Rabbi Yaakov Ettlinger was a German rabbi. He was the rabbi of Altona in, um, which is uh, a suburb of Hamburg today. In those days it was its own town, its own city. Um, it had been part of the Kingdom of Denmark. It was later absorbed into Germany. They spoke German there. You know, there's a sort of was a porous border between Altona and Hamburg. And uh, um, he was the chief rabbi of, of Altona in the in the early to middle part of the 19th century. Yes. I have ancestors from Altona. So do I, yes was a very thriving Jewish community. I have ancestors there, I've been there. Um, and of course, you know that I wrote a long piece in my book about Rabbi Yaakov Emden and Rabbi Jonas Nebeschitz. They both lived in Hamburg, Altona. And uh, one, of the, one of the key moments in that terrible controversy was the um, court case in the, um, in the court of the King of Denmark, in which the entire a situation was adjudicated as it were between Rabbi Yonis and Abishitz and Rabbi of Emden. That's where it took place. But this is a few generations later. He was the rabbi there and he wrote, by the way, I'm descended from his from his sister. So he's my great 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 uncle. I don't know, I don't know how many I don't know how many generations up, probably seven, eight generations behind me. Um, but more importantly, um, any of you here read the times of Israel? You ever read the Times of Israel? It's an online newspaper, uh, news reports about Israel. And the main journalist, the editor-in-chief of the Times of Israel is a man called David Horowitz. He's English. He is descended directly from the Orch He once spoke here at the shul for APAC, And I told him, you know, you're descended from the Orch He said, yeah, I remember my father told me. He didn't know much about it. Anyway, he wrote, he wrote a parish on the Haggadah. Um, it's called Minchat Ani. Uh, I, I've I've taken from it. There's a translation online, uh, but whenever I put a translation in any of my source sheets, um, it has to be treated with, um, uh, you know, you have to look at it as if it's my adaptation of the translation. I'm not always happy with translations, and I, you know, I edit them and reconfigure them as I see fit. But um, th- this is what Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger has to say about this particular aspect of the haggadah there is a difference of opinion among the sages about whether the passover offering must be eaten by midnight or whether it can be consumed until daybreak. since the story of the exodus could only be told when the offering that's the korban pesach matzah mora were on the table we have an apparent contradiction concerning rebelloza ben azaria who is one of the sages who told the story of the exodus all night um, and Something he says elsewhere. Since he is of the opinion that the Pesach must be consumed by midnight, how could he discuss the story all night long? So, Belozab and Azari was one of the five, and he is one of those who said that you have to have finished Korban Pesach by midnight. In which case, what was he doing discussing Siporitzias Mitraim all night? So here, Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger offers a solution to this problem, which also explains why it was necessary to follow this passage with Rabbi Loza ben Azariah's discussion in the next passage. So why does the story in needs to be followed? need to be followed by the Mishnah from Brochus, as we mentioned earlier? So here are the questions which he asks. Firstly, why did the author of the Haggadah connect this passage with the previous statement in the Haggadah of, even if we were all sages or discerning, Kulon hachamim, kulonu nevoinim, kulonu yeodim um uh, that's how it ended before Mase, etc that we read at the beginning the second question he has is what does Lazaban Azaria mean here when he says i did not merit to find a basis for mentioning the exodus at night until ben zoma explained what do you mean i didn't merit what is he trying to convey here what's what is the central core message of Rabbi Loza Ben-Azariah? And thirdly, why is it that the five sages mentioned in the Haggadah, of all of them, we only quote Rabbi Loza Ben-Azariah's statement of Hare Ani Kaven Shivim Shana? Why don't we have any statements from Rabbi Tarfon? Rabbi Tarfon was also a very special man. Rabbi Yezar? Rabbi Akiva? Why the only person we mention in the context of this story after we hear it is Rabbi Loza Ben-Azariah? So this is what he says. In the Talmud, we learn that the sages disagreed about when one is obligated to eat the Pesach offering. According to Rabbi Yeza and Rabbi Loza ben Azariah, it had to be consumed by midnight. According to Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yeshua, another two. So both of these rabbis, the first two, are mentioned in the story, and the other two rabbis are also mentioned in the story. Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yeshua said it could be consumed the entire night until dawn. Yet in the story of the sages in Benabrak, Brak, we learn that all the sages, all of those four and Rabbi Tarfayn spoke about the exodus from Egypt until dawn. If telling the story of the exodus could only be done when the Pesach, Matzah, moray were on the Seder table, how could Rabbi Yez and Rabbi Loza perform the mitzvah of telling the story all night since, according to them, the Matzah and morai would have been removed by midnight. They would have finished the carbon Pesach I'm assuming this is after the time that the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, so maybe there wasn't a Korban Pesach, but certainly the Matzah and the mara would have been removed by midnight, in which case they would have stopped talking about Yitzh Yitzh Why did they go on speaking until dawn, and so that their, their students had to remind them that it was a time for Kriyashimah in the morning? So the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Tzidav Ches Omad Aleph, 28 288 says as follows. A person who adds additional prayers for a mitzvah once the proper time for it has ended is guilty of something called bal Tosif. What's bal Tosif? Adding additional commandments. So if you've got a mitzvah and you decide, I want to do something more to this mitzvah, I want to add to it because I want to enhance it. I think I've, I've got such devotion and such faith. I want to create something more in this mitzvah and you add something to it, you've actually done something wrong. What's it called? It's, it's, a, it's the aveira of Baal You're not allowed to add to a mitzvah. I'll give you an example. We were talking about titis before. You see, I love Hashem so much that I don't want to have four titis. I want to have a five-cornered garment. I'm going to have five titis. If you have five titis, it's Baal You're not allowed to have five titis. You only have four titis. You have four, four-cornered garments, and each, one of, each corner has titis on it. Right. Similarly, if you have a mitzvah that's meant to end by a particular time, you're not allowed to go over that time because it's called bal Toisif. It's a gemara Rosh Hashanah. Bearing this in mind, one must ask how Rabbis Eliezer and Elazar ben could have continued telling the story of the Exodus all night, according to their interpretation of the law. The time for telling the story about Exodus ended when at midnight. What are they still going on about it for? And at the same time, why would it end at midnight? Because it ends at the same time as the consumption of the Pesach offering ended. Right? Midnight was the end of that time. By telling the story after midnight, they become guilty of Baal So between midnight and dawn, they continue to tell the story. And according to their own opinion, they were guilty of bal tosif, Even adds Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, even if one says that was not the Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Loza Ben-Azari's intention to continue performing the commandment of telling the story of the Exodus all night, they should have given an indication that they were not doing it to fulfill a particular commandment, but simply for the purpose of study. So it's not illegal. It's not um, counter-halachic to talk about Yitziat Mitzrayim after midnight. That means... If you talk about it, it's totally fine, but on one condition, that you say, you know the Sipur Yetzias Mitzrayim I'm doing now? It's just because I want to study about the story of Mitzrayim. It's not because I'm trying to be Mechaim the Mitzvah. I'm not doing anything here. At midnight, Sipur Yetzias Mitzrayim ends. What happens after midnight, I just want to have a discussion, a Torah discussion. But that's not the way it sounds, because we have no indication in the story that Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Ben-Azari at some point in the evening closed the Hagodas and said, friends, from now on this is only a discussion over another glass of wine, which, by the way, is not part of the Arba Kosis, because, of course, we finished all our obligations to do with Seder night, because it's midnight. We don't have any indication in the story that that moment came and went. All we know is is that they were talking, uninterrupted, all night long, until they were told by their students in the morning that they should stop. So unlike the other sages, for whom the commandment of telling the story of the Exodus was a commandment all night, and for whom telling the story was mandated all night, these two rabbis needed to clarify they weren't adding to the commandment. By the way, I've, I've not put it here in my translation, but the Orachlaner, Rabbi Yaakov Etlinger, actually brings a proof from another Gemara that that's the way that you need to conduct yourself if, in order to avoid being, um, uh, going, doing baltoisif. If you don't want to do baltoisif, you need to indicate that what you're doing now is not that, it's something else. Anyway, the point Rabbi Lozab Azaria was making was that this is not a problem. So now... Ochlaner explains why Rabbi Elozabeth Azaria needs to say, ani k'vim, k'vim shivim shonav, etc. Why? Besides the commandment of telling the story of the Exodus on the eve of Passover, we are also commanded to mention the Exodus each day. Even though one need only mention the Exodus to fulfill this commandment, as we do when we recite the third paragraph of the Shema one can actually dwell on it as much as one wants. Therefore, when Rabbis Eliezer and Elazar ben Azariah continued to dwell on the Exodus and discuss it after midnight, they were not guilty of transgressing Baal but they were fulfilling the commandment of mentioning the Exodus from Egypt every day, including the night. In other words, the reason why Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah was so excited about the fact that he was um, that he was talking about it after midnight, and that Benzoma had come up with his whole idea was because he says, after midnight, I didn't need to mention anything. I continue to talk about Yetzias Mitzrayim, And it's part of Benzoma's idea of Kol yemei chayecha lailois. That's what I was doing. This explains why it was necessary to include this passage about Rebel Yezer and mentioning the exodus at night, about uh, Rabbi Loza Ben Azariah, and mentioning the exodus at night. If there is no obligation to make mention of the exodus at night, then he and Rabbi Eliezer would have been guilty about Tosif. Rabbi Loza needed to explain to his students, who could not understand what Eliezer and Rabbi Loza had done, they needed to explain, that's why the students weren't coming to them and saying, it's now time to say Kriya Shema in the day, they were saying, what are you doing? You're meant to be saying Krishna in the day and talking about your Mitzrayim, not talking about your Mitzrayim at night. They said, no, Rabbi Loz Ben Azariah said to them, I'm going to teach you something. I never really understood, I'm like you, I never understood how important it was until Ben Zoma explained that kol yemei chayecha is also ha Don't point the finger at me and say, Rabbi, you're making a mistake. I'm not making a mistake. I'm going according to the opinion of Ben Zoma, And Ben Zoma says, you can talk about Yitzhak Mitzrayim at night. Yes, of course, all you need to say is, of the third paragraph of Krishna. But you don't have to limit yourself. If after you finish Krishna, you want to talk much more about Yitias Mitzrayim, of course you can speak about it as much as you want, as part of the obligation of LeMan Tiskaris Yom Teitzcha Me'eret Mitzrayim Kol Yom That's the whole point. The point is that we have a a chiyuv of Sipur Yitias Mitzrayim. We also have a chiyuv of LeMan Tiskaris Yom Teitzcha Me'eret Mitzrayim of mentioning Yitias Mitzrayim, and that you can fulfill even after midnight and the Korban Pesach, the Matzah and the Mora are no longer on the table or no longer relevant to you because it's perfectly okay to do so as part of the obligation of Laman Le- Tizko. And that's why this piece is mentioned and not any of the other rabbis are mentioned because it's actually relevant to what Rabbi Lazar did and Rabbi Eliezer did in terms of their own opinion. It doesn't contradict their own opinion in this instance. I want to look at the Chidot. It's number 6 on page 3 of your source sheet. So he focuses on something which I really glossed over earlier. What does the posuk say? Does it need to say es doesn't. It What do you mean es What is the mention of yoym what's that relevant to the pasuk? so we're focused on the exegesis of the word kol in kol yeme chayecha as a result of which we missed another extra word in the pasuk which is yom tzeyscha we don't need to mention yom tzeyscha why says the chidoah does the Poseid mention Yoin Teischa? It's an irrelevant word, it's not needed, it's unnecessary. V'havale l'meymar, v'havale l'meymar, it should have said, L'man So he quotes a fascinating chazal. This is a chazal which you may have heard, but it's the type of chazal that you need to hear again. Dahainu, leil hiskadesh Chag. The night of Yetzirah Mitzrayim, the night between the 14th and the 15th of um, Nisan. What do we say, by the way? It was exactly at midnight. What happened that night? How did that night look? It's a fascinating Chazal. Hoisa me'ira k'shemesh. The night was as light as if the sun was shining. The sun wasn't shining, but it was a light night, like a sort of aurora borealis or something. There was some phenomenon going on that night, which meant that it never got dark. You know, many years ago, I went to St. Petersburg in June. Have you ever been? I went to, it's called White Nights. And I was there over Shabbos and I said, when am I meant to make Avdola? Because the sun doesn't set or if it sets, it never gets dark. So they said you make have dollar after the time that it gets darkest in the night. So at sometime like 1.30, two o'clock in the morning, it's not dark, it's like dusk outside. People actually drive around with their lights on, but it's not dark, it's like, it's like dusk. And then it starts getting lighter again. But the, the sky never goes black. It's permanently light for I don't know how many months. And of course, if you go further north, then it's totally light all day, 24 hours. Or in the middle of the winter, it's dark for 24 hours. And the opposite in Antarctic, I'm assuming, right? So imagine this, in Egypt, on the night of Yetzias Mitzrayim, it never got dark. It was light all night. Me'ira ka the Ve'nim tzu'u Shois vav shemesh. And you'll find, as it were, that there were 36 hours of light. A day normally is 24 hours, right? Of which roughly 12 hours are daytime and roughly 12 hours are nighttime. It could be 10 of one and 14 of the other, but roughly half and half. In this situation, between the 14th and the 15th of Nissan of that year, 3,331 years ago, it was light for 36 hours the day of the 14th, the night of the 14th stroke 15th, well, 15th in our calendar, and the day of the 15th, the 36 hours of light. So Benzoma's whole opinion here is, what are you talking about? You only mention Yetzias mitraim in the day. No, the night was also day. So it's not as Yom Teichachim Mitzrayim. Because the Yom of that particular period, of that 36-hour period, the Yom and the Layla were both Yom. The night and the day were both light, like day. So therefore, don't just mention Yetzias mitraim in the day, in the morning. You have to mention Yitzhia Smitraim at night as well to remind you of this incredible occurrence, this phenomenon that was light the whole way through. He says, in fact, the whole purpose of that night being light like a daytime was to tell you about the Yomim thing and Kriya Shema. The whole Pusuk is there to tell you, to remind you, to remind you, you must remind yourself about the day, daytime atmosphere of even the night in which you were released, that you went out of Egypt. Think about that actual day that you went out of Egypt, Leloi Meirim, where the nighttime, its night was the same light as the daytime of that day. and it was a wondrous event, this unnatural phenomenon as it were, obviously a natural phenomenon, but it was a miraculous thing that it was light even at nighttime. The fact that it says is to tell you that you must include nighttime in mentioning Shema, not just mention it at the day. Nimshach le is Yom and that's why the word Yom and forms part of one particular limb by the way this is why ben zoma is considered the greatest darshan of his day he's not just looking at the word kol in the context of the whole pasuk of he's mentioning the fact, it's, the posseg is mentioning the fact that it was a yom for 36 hours, therefore ko'il the entire day of the days of your life, including the night time that at the time of Yetzias Mitzrayim was also daytime. The rabbanon. what about the chachomim, the rabbis who disagree with him, savri, the tam halayla, de migulas Mitzrayim nimshechu geulas bovel, have a different take. Their take is that the Gula of Mitzrayim is there to teach you that there's not going to be one Gula in our history. You know, how many people win the lottery twice? Very few. It does happen, by the way. I you know, there's a, there's a guy who was helping here in Rosh Hashanah, his name is Stephen. I don't know if you saw him, Stephen. His parents won the lottery in Australia twice. It doesn't happen too often, right? Imagine you win the lottery multiple times. That's the story of Jewish history. We won the lottery, not just once, twice, three times. What's three times? We won the lottery, Yetzias Mitzrayim. We won the lottery after the gollus of Bovel, where we came back. Ezra Nehemiah came back. We built the Beis Hamikdosh. We had another. Hundreds of years of Beis HaMikdosh. And we went back into Golos. We're going to win the lottery again with the Gula He'osid, With the ultimate Geula, the ultimate redemption, the messianic redemption. We're going to win the lottery again. And that says um, the Zohar is all derived from the Geula of Mitzrayim. The Geula of Mitzrayim was the mother of all Geula. The Lachin. And that was the reason why the night of the 15th of Nisan, this in between night, between the 14th and the 15th of Nisan, it was light the whole night. Because it's now three times 12. You've got the 12 of the 14th, which was daytime, that's the G'ulas Mitzrayim. You've got the 12 of the nighttime, that's the Ge'ula of Bavel, where they came back from Bavel. And then you've got the 12 of the 15th, which is the Gula of Laosid Lava, when Mashiach is going to come. You've got three times twelve Meirim, Yom Yudalad, Yom Tesva, the Leil Tesva. La Horais de Bemit the Golus Bovel, the Golus Zeh, Hashem Yoyer Ereinu the Unadoda Cheshas Hagolus, the Yores Hagolus and Nimshalla Laila. The Golus will be lit up. Because Gollus, as you know, is always compared to night time. We are in Gollus. Gollus is compared to night. But it will be light like the night. That's why it says Remember that day. So the Chachamim have a totally different take. Their take is Lemantisko. You're going to mention Yetzias Mitzrayim, not that it's going to be that you have to say it in Kriya Shema in the day and in the night. But the whole point of mentioning Mit Mitzrayim every day is to remind you that there's going to be a time called the Messianic Redemption, which is derived from this 3-12 hour period of light that was um, that a continuous light of 36 hours, three 12 hour periods to tell you that there will be a ge'ula le'osid lava. I want to ask you a question according to what the chidah just said. Are Ben Zoyma and the Chachamim arguing? Not really. They're not really arguing. Ben Zoyma is saying, you've got to mention both in the nighttime and the daytime to remind you about the fact that it was three times 12 hours and therefore as yoim Te Erit Mihraim mention it at night and the day. Hroim are not arguing, they're adding. They're saying it's not just that we're going to mention Uutias Mitzrayim at night and day, but the Uutis Mihraim that we mention at night and in the day is there to teach you that there's going to be a Laosid La, Lahovi, Limoy Samamosshiach. you see? So suddenly this majority opinion is not a majority opinion. They are endorsing Benzoima. Mazkirin es Yetzias Mitzrayim balelois, says the Mishnah. You've got to mention Yetzias Mitzrayim even at night. Why? Lemantizkor es Yoim teis chomeret mitraim koil yemechayecho, says Benzoima. Koil is halelois, says the Chachomim. You've, you, not, you've, you haven't missed the point. We're going to add to what you're saying. We're so excited. They were like Rebbe Loza ben Azariah. They were so excited with what they heard, they said, Do you know what else is contained in this Limud of benzoima? That the three 12-hour period is not just kol yamei chayecha, kol is um, yomim, kol is also olam hazeh. This world, this life that we lead, it's the two 12-hour periods that we've had with Yetzias Mitzrayim and the end of Golus Bavel, But it's also the third 12-hour period is, is to remind you that the ge'ula of Mitzrayim is going to be um, the mother of all ge'ulas, including the ge'ula of Leosid Lovoy of when Moshiach comes. We're going to learn one more piece. I know there's much more in this source sheet. I could have gone on all day. In fact, mm-hmm. I could have been zeicher to that. But let's just do number seven, and um, and then we'll leave it at that. Rav Cook, says Rav Cook, that uh, Rabbi Lozban Azariah was so excited um because of the Drosha of Benzoima who says ymei chayecha, ymei chayecha so he was very excited about what he learned um, in this posuk of kol chayecha, meaning the days uh, um sorry meaning the days and kol meaning the nights so that's the Limud, that's the Mishnah, that's the hagoda We saw the tosefta Says Rav Kook, t'am To really understand this debate, as it were, between Benzoim and the Chachomim, whether or not you have to mention Yitzias Mitzrayim at night, dovar pu'ula in any Anything that happens in this world, there's two aspects to it. There's the preparation for it, and then there's the actual event. Okay? You know, this is a debate I always have with Sabine. What's more exciting, the holiday or thinking about the holiday before you go on the holiday? I mean, you know, you can hear, you know, you plan the holiday so far in advance, the vacation, you book the hotel, the flights, and it's so exciting, you're going to see friends or whatever it is. For weeks, you're thinking about it. You've got that euphoria of preparation, and then you actually get there, and you're there for a few days or a week or 10 days or however long it is, and then it's all gone in a flash. What was better, the weeks of preparation or the actual event? Okay, so it's a debate. It's perhaps a silly debate. I think we all know the answer that actually being on vacation has a certain um, ambience to it which cannot be compared to humdrum life that you normally lead during the course of time that you're anticipating. And that's what Rav Cook says. The two periods that exist in, a, in anything that takes place in life are the preparation period and the actual event itself. So let's see where he takes us with this. The Imha Dovahu If the event itself is very great, the actual action that you're going to take is a great action. If you're preparing for an exam, for example, you're going to want to pass the bar. You're not taking, um, you know, driver's ed. You want to pass the bar. So the preparation for driver's ed is not going to be quite as dramatic and as intense as the preparation for the the bar exam. Avo. It doesn't matter which one it is, whether it's driver's ed or whether it's the bar exam, the actual thing that when you're doing it, that's the most intense moment of all. Taking the test is always going to be more intense than preparation for the test, however hard the preparation or however busy or intense the preparation was. In general terms, if you would look at a 24-hour period, The main event of the 24-hour period is the day. And the lesser part of the 24-hour period is the night. Why? What do we do at night? We sleep in our beds. Why? So that we should have strength to do everything that we're going to do during the course of the day. So if you look at the 24-hour period, which part is ha And which part is the main event, the tachlis? You're going to say the ha is the night. And the tachlis is the day. Does everyone agree with that? You agree with Rav Cook? I think it's a fairly sta- um, uh, um, solid observation. The Hine. Yetzias Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim actually has both of these aspects to it. Exodus contains both the hachonah aspect and the tachlis aspect. Tachlis atzmis, the What is it? What is the actual importance, the intense importance of Yitzhia Mitzrayim in and of itself? Is the fact that through this incredibly miraculous redemption, we merited to gain a relationship with God and understand his greatness. And the fact that he preordains everything, he preplans everything, that everything is under his jurisdiction. And we learnt about his love for us, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So that's the tachlis of Yetzirah Mitzrayim in and of itself. It has an intense meaning, which makes it the main event. However, he says, this is what's so unusual. Omnum. Gamhi hi hachona. Mitzrayim is also a platform, is also a preparation for something. Ki tikkun because the world wasn't completely fixed through the exodus from Egypt. because even afterwards there were terrible afflictions that we suffered, that we were subjugated by great kingdoms, Right, We were attacked. Eventually we were um, uh, we were destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. We were dragged away into exile. Yes, we came back. But then the Romans came. First the Greeks, then the Romans. And they also this destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. When they explained the pasuk, which God said to Moses at the burning bush, they explained it to mean this, that... The Yetzias Mitzrayim won't be an end um, in and of itself. It will be the beginning of a very long Jewish history. E asheye, I will be what I will be. In each era, God will exist, as it were, for that particular era. And that may be a shifting, um, a shifting existence in terms of our relationship with him and the things that he does for us and with us. Belula Yetzias Mitzrayim. But without the exodus from egypt and had it not been for the exodus from egypt the original foundation moment of the jewish nation what would have happened then had we not experienced the love that god has for us an incredible relationship that Uh, that developed out of yetziah Mitzrayim, we would not have been able to handle all the incredible vicissitudes and difficulties and hurdles and challenges that we faced after yetziah Mitzrayim. so yetziah Mitzrayim, in and of itself is an event because that created the relationship in the first place but it also becomes the springboard for everything else that happens after it so what is it is it day or is it night is yetziah Mitzrayim day Or is it night? If it's tachlis, it's day. If it's hachonah, it's night. It's both. It's unique as a moment in our history in having both attributes, both aspects of hachonah and tachlis. It's both the main event and it's the preparation. The Hine Yeshilanubay's mitzvus, and we have two mitzvahs. We have the fact that we have to mention Yitzias Mitzrayim every single day. We also have another one. We also have the obligation to say over the story of the Exodus from Egypt every Pesach night. It's two separate types of mitzvahs. One is just a mention and the other one is, um, is on the festival of Pesach saying over the whole story. And based on what we've just said about the two aspects, the two attributes that are contained within this one event in history known as Yetzias Mitzrayim, the exodus from Egypt, the Tachlis part, which is the main event part, and the Hachona, which is the preparation part. Now we need to reflect on the meaning of these mitzvahs, the mention and the saying over the whole story. Is it as the main event in order to prepare us, to really make us understand the completeness that we managed to achieve, that we? Uh, that we gained as a result of the exodus from Egypt. Or is the, um, is the mitzvah just to prepare us, to get, um, help us gain an understanding for the great Geulah that lies ahead of us, the messianic redemption, which is it? We have two mitzvahs and we have two aspects. The two mitzvahs are the mitzvah of Hazkorah and the mitzvah of Sippur, the mitzvah of mentioning and the mitzvah of saying the story. And we have two aspects the, mitzvah, the aspect of hachonah, preparation, and the aspect of, um, of being the main event. So which is it? Says Ben Zoyma, in terms of preparation for the future, you have to mention Yetzias Mitzrayim at night. It's not enough to mention it in the day, because the whole point of Hachonah is that it's, that it's night time. You sleep at night so that you are fully strengthened to take on the duties of the day. So what would be the point of mentioning Yetzias Mitzrayim in the daytime if the whole point of mentioning Mit Mitzrayim is nighttime? Right? So that's that's why you have to mention your Tiyas Mitraim Balaila. Shahallo Enoi Bal Tachlis Elohakono Hamanuchola Voida. Says Ben Kal ye mecha yecha. Kal ye mecha yecha You must mention your tia smithraim at night, um it'sada tahlis roy la has but in terms of what the Tachlis is, the main event part of UTS Mitzrayim, it's no good to mention it at night. You have to mention it in the daytime, right? Because the main event, the fact that we have a relationship with Hashem, is only through Yetzias Mitzrayim. And that's the main backbone of Jewish, the Jewish faith. So you must mention both. You've got to mention UTS Mitzrayim in the daytime for the Tachlis. You've got to mention UTS Mitzrayim at night for the Hachonah part. Says ben Lahavin. I never understood this until Ben Zoymar came along and he explained that there's these two sides to it. There is the Yemei Chayecha Hayamim, and then there's a Kol Yemei Chayecha, which is Halelai. Says Rav Cook. Ben Zoyma revealed something to Rabbi Loza ben Azariah which he never understood before. That you have it's one thing which has two personalities. There's a personality of Yetzias Mitzrayim, which is Hachonah, and there's a personality of Yetzias Mitzrayim, which is the Tachlis. Now we understand that there's no debate between the Chachomim and Ben Zoyma. Again, according to Rav Cook, they're only adding, they're augmenting this idea that Yemei Chayecha is Olam Hazer. The Yemei Chayecho part is the, is the Olam Hazer, which is the main event, which is the relationship that we have with God, which only results from Yetzirah Mitzrayim, which we need to celebrate when we mention Yetzirah Mitzrayim in the daytime. We can't mention Yetzirah Mitzrayim at night and through that celebrate our relationship with God because nighttime is only a preparation for the day. Koel Yemei Chayecho, said the Chachomin, they're explaining Ben Zayma. Kol yemei is is lehovi Limay Moshiach. The fact that kol yemei means ha is because it's lehovi Limay Moshiach to explain to you that that Yitzias Yetzias Mitzrayim is also a preparation, a ha for le-osid lo when Mashiach will come. So that's why the Mishnah is not going according to a minority opinion because the Chachamim are not disagreeing with Ben Zoyma. They're simply explaining what Ben Zoyma was on about. Kol Yemei Chayecha HaLeilois is HaOlam Hazer. Sorry, Yemei Chayecha HaLeilois, sorry. Yemei Chayecha HaYomim is Olam Hazer. Kol Yemei Chayecha HaLeilois is Lehovi Limeis HaMashiach. There's much more to say for those of you listening online. You can print off the source sheet and read the other sources. Meanwhile, I'll leave it here.